Thank you for checking out the River's Edge Church podcast. We believe that no matter where you have come from or what you have come out of, today can be a life-changing day. Church should not be an obligation to endure each week, but rather a place to look forward to, a place where we can come together in community to grow in our lives. So join us today as we expect something good from our amazing God. Get your Bibles out this morning. We have been on a series about faith based out of uh, 2 Corinthians 5-7. It's been our keynote scripture. They're putting it up on the Sky Bowl. If you didn't bring your Bible, it'll be up there. But the verse is, for we walk by faith, not by sight. In other words, our life is propelled forward in any given direction by faith, not by sight. Not the things that we see, but the things that we believe. And our life, where we're at right now, is the summation of what we believe. You are where you're at because of what you believe. In fact, it's funny, uh, there's actually been a lot of research done by neuroscientists and psychologists that proves out that you literally are formed by your most dominant thoughts. Your most dominant thinking determines your life. And we established over the last couple of weeks that faith is really belief. It's what you believe. We talked about it at length last week. In fact, if you go to your Bible and you read your Bible where you see the word faith, you can put the word belief in. It does not change the meaning of the scripture. And we actually walked through that together. And so this week we're going to kind of pick up right there and we're going to move on to if if faith is really belief, then how does faith come? Because this is a question I get asked a lot. Pastor, how, how do I build my faith? How do I grow my faith? How does faith come? That's what we're going to talk about today. And I just want to tell you that if you're watching online, please participate with us. Get your Bible out with us. And I just want to say, you know, if you are watching online, we are way cooler in person. So come hang out with us. Um, it's a lot more rowdy here than it is there probably. And if it's more rowdy there, I, maybe I want to come visit you. Anyway. So let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for your word. And Father, I thank you that as Jesus said, you have given unto each one of us a measure of faith. And Father, I thank you that as we go through this series, we learn how to walk and to live by faith and not by sight, not being dominated by our five senses, but instead being dominated and led by your word and what you have promised us. Father, I thank you this morning that our lives will be changed and transformed, that our hearts and our ears are open. And Father, I thank you that the Holy Spirit is ultimately the teacher. So help me yield to the ultimate teacher this morning as I minister to your people in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. So how does faith come? Well, when people hear that question, how does faith come, typically most people go to Romans ten seventeen. They almost always go to Romans 10, 17. And Romans 10, 17 says, So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And this is true. Without hearing, there is no faith. But can I just tell you, hearing alone will not give you faith. Hearing alone 
will not give you faith. Hearing alone is not the end of the equation. Open your Bibles to Mark's Gospel, chapter 5. We're going to look at 27 through 34. Actually, we're going, to, we're going to really double dip on you this morning. We're going to do that, and we're going to do Mark chapter 6. But Mark chapter 5, 27 through 34, says this. says, when she heard about Jesus, this is the woman with the issue of blood, right? It says, when she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. Immediately the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. And Jesus immediately, knowing in himself that power had gone out of him, turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? But his disciples said to him, you see the multitudes thronging you, and you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see her who had done this thing, but the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. Now jump to Mark chapter 6, verses 1 through 6. It says, Then he went out from there and came to his own country, and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many hearing him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things, and what wisdom is this which is given him, that such mighty works are performed by his hands? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? So they were offended at him. But Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own country, among his own relatives, and in his own house. Now he could do no mighty work there except that he laid hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. Then he went about the villages in a circuit teaching. We see two different people. We see the woman with the issue of blood, who Jesus said is healed by her faith. And then we see the people in Jesus' own hometown, and it says that Jesus could do no mighty work in his own hometown because of their unbelief. And again, like we talked about last week, we could say lack of faith. So the first group, the first woman, the first person, she received, but the people in his hometown did not receive. Well, what happened here? What's the difference between the woman with the issue of blood and the people in Jesus' hometown? This is the thing. The woman with the issue of blood heard that Jesus could heal her. And she accepted, this is important, She accepted what she heard as the truth. The people in Jesus' hometown heard the same things. But they looked and said, this is just that Jesus guy, the son of the carpenter. And they didn't accept as truth what they had heard. Now, this should be really exciting for us because it tells us two things. First of all, it tells us That faith is easy. Because this is faith. 
hearing the truth and accepting it. People say, oh, pastor, how does faith, I want great faith. You know, faith is easy. Hear the truth and accept it as truth. Hear the word and accept the word as truth. Accept it as truth. That's how quickly faith comes. The moment that you accept the word as truth, faith comes. You don't have to work it up. You don't have to dig it up. You don't have to go search it. You don't have to memorize 6,000 scriptures. You don't have to meditate for 14 days. The second you hear the word, if you accept it as truth, faith comes. That's why we can be in the middle of church. I can do the altar call and people get saved. What happens? They hear the truth. They accept it as truth. And so they act. It's that easy. It's that easy. But here's the other thing this tells us. Is that every time we hear the word, a process begins. And this is the process. You hear the word. And in your mind, you rationalize why that is truth or not truth. Why it can happen or why it can't happen. And it happens instantaneously. That's why Jesus said to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. You either take the thoughts captive and bring in the line with what he said or you don't. See, when we hear the word... No matter who we are, no matter where we're from, we do this whole rationalization thing. And I told myself I wasn't going to use this as an example, but I'm going to use it as an example because it's one of the it's one of the easiest examples there is. Tithing. Malachi 3 says to bring the tithe, 10% of our income, into the house. And that through that process, there would be provision in the house of God. But because we bring the tithe and there's provision in the house of God, something supernatural happens in our life. What is that? The word says that he will rebuke the devourer for your sake. In other words, things that would steal from you would be rebuked. Right? (laughs) That the windows of heaven would be opened over your life and you would receive blessing that there isn't room enough for you to receive it. Think about that for a moment. I don't know about you. I got a lot of room for blessing. Hello? And it says that if we would bring the tithe into the, into the house, there'd be provision in my house. He would rebuke the devourer, and God would pour out blessing for us. There wouldn't be room enough to receive it. Now, I don't know about you, but if somebody told me that there was one thing I could do, And it would actually supernaturally actually put things that bad could happen to my life at bay. And at the same time, open up my life to receive incredible blessing from God himself. And that that blessing literally is every aspect of your life, not just financially. Who wouldn't do that? The person who wouldn't do that is the person that the second that they hear bring the tithe into the storehouse starts calculating, how do I survive with 90% if God wants me to bring 10? And you deduct, it's just not possible. That's why. Man, I love it because it's really quiet in here because money is such a personal thing. Part of the reason why it's a good example. 
because it really makes us think. But see, that happens every time that we hear a promise of God. Every time we hear a promise, we take what we hear through a series of questions in our mind, and our mind goes bloop. And here's the thing. The thing that pops out when we go through that process is actually the biggest obstacle of faith in your life in that area. So when that whole deduction process takes place and you go, I can't because that's the hurdle. That's the hurdle. M. Dow brought up a great scripture this morning, 1 Peter 2.24. People hear 1 Peter 2.24, and they literally go through that process. Boop, out pops a response. Either I believe it, and I accept it as truth, or we start re- reconciling in our minds all the reasons why it can't be true. And then we get an answer. But what about my aunt? What about my cousin? What about this situation and that situation and this and that and da 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 da? And we come up with a conclusion. And whatever that clue conclusion is, is actually the greatest hindrance to our faith. It is the one thing that will cut our faith off and cause us to go from faith, belief, to no faith and unbelief. In Jesus' hometown, it was we know who you are. We know you, Jesus. You're that snot-nosed kid that used to run around here. Used to play in the streets with the other kids. Right? They deducted by their knowledge of Jesus in watching him grow up that he couldn't possibly be the guy that everybody was saying that he is. Can I tell you, one of the greatest hindrances to your faith are your preconceived ideas about who Jesus is. It hits us every time. Hits us every time. See, every time we hear the truth of the word, our minds kick in. We don't even think about it. It's just a process that happens. Actually, it happens every time you hear something. Right? God wired us with these incredible minds, this incredible ability to reason and deduct things. And so we we go through this whole calculation process. And at the end of it, We come up with a calculation. This is where it is. And that calculation either leaves us in faith or unbelief. You know, this morning, uh, I'm going to give $20 to the first five people who stand up. I know that sounds really crazy, um, but that's what I'm going to do. And even right now, as I'm saying that, right now, people are tagging. Okay, whoa. One, two, three. Three, four, where's the, <laughs> sorry, so, oh, okay, so you, who are the five, that were, I got one, two, three, four, she sat down, okay, there's 20 bucks, there's 20 bucks, there's 20 bucks, you sat down, sister, <laughs> 20 bucks, 20 bucks, Now, you're all going, Pastor has lost his mind. By the way, that is your money to keep. It is a gift to you. 
But let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. When I said I was going to give $20 to the first five people that stood up, you guys did the calculation. Did pastor really say that? Did pastor really just say he's going to give $100 away today? Did he really say it? It's kind of what people do with the word, isn't it? Does the Bible really say that? Does it really? Did Jesus really say that? Does the word of God really say it? Does it really say that? See, and then we stay seating. Keep seated because you couldn't have really said that. Did pastor really mean he's going to do it? Is he really going to do it? You ran through it. You, you should ask the question. I probably won't be. Uh, will I be one of the first five to stand up? Right? And so some of you didn't stand up because you didn't think you'd be one of the first five. You guys move slow. <laughs> some of you are like, do I really need 20 bucks? And is it worth the embarrassment of standing up? Because <laughs> I'm about to say, Pastor, give me some money. <laughs> is it worth it? Is it worth it? And some of you were like, is pastor really that crazy? (laughs) See, all the staff and leaders are going, yeah, he's that nuts. They're going, he's that crazy. He's that nuts. See, you went through all these thought processes And you came to a conclusion. And those who stood up came to the conclusion, he's crazy and he'll give me the money. (laughs) And so they stood up. The rest of you sat there and watched them get what I had. See, and how many people sit and don't get what God has because they don't really believe what Jesus said? (laughs) here's the other thing, or because they don't really know who Jesus is. See, the two things that our faith is always predicated on is what Jesus said or what the word says and who Jesus is. See, I used to use this example all the time when when our kids were younger. Savannah Right? She's the only one of the siblings that are here today. Unless it's Allie here. Alice, where are you? Where's Allie? Where are you? Allie. Oh, shoot. Okay. Anyway. The Douglas kids and our kids grew up together. I think sometimes they didn't know which house they belonged in. Right? Because in the early days, in the early days when it came time for us to have a date, well, the Douglas had our, Douglases had our kids. And when it was time for the Douglases to have a date, we had their kids. It's just what happened. It's how we did things. And actually, as they got older, there was actually seasons where the Douglas girls would come to our house, and they'd stay for days. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. <laughs> and it'd be like, are they ever going home? Right? 
But see, what's amazing about the Douglas kids coming to our house, they know that when I say something, I mean it. And they also know who I am. And because they know when I say something, I mean it, and because they know who I am, they have no problem walking into my fridge (laughs) and taking whatever they want. I won't point out anybody, and you all just keep your mouth shut because you know who this is. But there's one Douglas child that when they come to my house, if there's lunch meat, it's gone. Because when they make a sandwich, it's a sandwich. Well, why do they do that? Because they know that I have said, if I have it, you can have it. If it's in the fridge, help yourself. It's okay. And they know who I am and that I'm okay with them eating what's in the fridge. And so they do it. So is faith. See, knowing what Jesus said is part of the equation. And accepting what Jesus has said as the truth. But the other part is actually knowing the character of who Jesus is. See, you can know the truth, and you can quote the truth, but if you don't really believe that Jesus would do what he said he would do for you, then you won't walk out what he's promised. And let me just tell you how this whole thing works. This is how it works. You hear the promise that Jesus has made. Your mind starts calculating it. Your mind starts calculating it on what was said. Could this possibly be true? Then your mind starts calculating, well, (laughs) I'm just kidding. Just let's go here. Let's go to um, uh, let's go to Mark chapter one. Mark chapter one. I just totally derailed my notes. I don't care. Mark chapter one. Verse forty and forty-one. It says, "Now a leper came to him. Who's the him? It's Jesus." imploring him, kneeling down to him and saying to him, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Then Jesus moved with compassion, stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. As soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Question. He said, you can make me clean. Had he heard that Jesus was the healer? But he had a hang-up, didn't he? Jesus, if you're willing. If you're willing. See, he knew Jesus could. He just wasn't sure he would. And let me tell you how this calculation takes place in our brains. What happens is we go, okay, he can... 
but I'm not sure he will because it's me. And I've done this, and I've done that, and I've forsaken him this way, and I've ignored him here, and I did that thing when I said that I wouldn't, and yet I did. And so we deduct, he can, but he won't because of me. The great news is, the message of the cross is, it doesn't matter. Biblical history for you. Jewish thought at the time that Jesus was on the planet was this. You are sick because there's sin in your life. It was the prevalent thought. That is why Jesus was questioned. Tell us, Jesus, who sinned? This man or his parents? Why? Because sin and sickness are equated together. And you know what? Jesus didn't care. He didn't care. But see, that's what we do, isn't it? We tabulate everything based on where we're at and our walk with God. <laughs> and that's why we do the, we wake up on Monday. Oh, it's such a great day. I went to church on Sunday, and I did my religious thing. And I went, ah, yeah, and I prayed. And then there's that special meeting on Sunday night, and I went to that. And I get up on Monday morning. I feel like a million bucks. I'm, woo, yeah, I'm super Christian. So today's the day. I'm going to ask Jesus for everything because I got it good. I'm doing good. Don't look at me like you've never done this because I've done it. We calculate, oh, I'm good enough today to ask him. You are never good enough. It's only because of his goodness that you can ask, and it's based on his goodness, not your goodness, on whether you receive. But we think it's based on our goodness that we receive, but we don't receive based on our goodness. We receive based on his goodness. So when that calculation takes place and you go, I'm not good enough, I know he can, but I know he won't because of who I am. You need to throw that aside. And what it's telling you is this. You don't know him well enough. You don't know him well enough. See, this is, this is that thing that you guys hear me say that Dr. Neil Anderson said. And I'm, this is the last time I've given Dr. Neil Anderson credit Thank you, Dr. Anderson, but it's now mine. I've said it about 50 times. I've given you credit every time. So, Dr. Anderson, too bad. (laughs) But Dr. Anderson says this. Your faith is only as good as the object of your faith. And what happens is people think that they need to do something to increase their faith so that they can receive. But the question you have to ask yourself is, did I believe when I heard? Did I believe when I heard? When I've heard 1 Peter 2.24, that by Jesus' stripes I was healed, it is a finished work. Do I believe that? And if you go, yes, 
then the next question you need to ask yourself is, do I know the one well enough to believe that he will? See, so many times people make faith all about getting more and more and more and more word in them. But faith is really more about getting to know the one the word is about. And the more you know him, the more confident your faith becomes. Because you not only know that he can, but you begun to know that he will. And so the number one t- thing that I always tell people, if you are going to, fu- if you feel like you need to receive something from the Lord, I will tell you, get to know the one who made the promise. Get to know him. Because you know what? The Douglas kids come to my house, raid my fridge, not a qualm. You would come to my house and I would look at you and say, hey, such as I have, it's yours. Feel free, help yourself, da 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 And you'd sit on the couch and go, I just don't know. Why? Because you don't know me. If I tell you you can raid my refrigerator, you can raid my refrigerator. But you actually compare me against every other person that has told you you can raid the refrigerator, and then you go raid the refrigerator, and they get upset at you because you raided the refrigerator. And that's exactly what we do with the things of God. And one of the biggest things that we do is we compare our heavenly father to our earthly father. And we say, if my earthly father would do X, then my heavenly father must be the same. And can I tell you, (laughs) man, as an earthly father, I've done everything I can to be the best dad I can. But I failed my kids. I have not been a perfect dad. Man, I wanted to be the perfect dad. But man, there's been times I have not acted like my heavenly father. Any dads say amen? But you know what? We have a heavenly father that doesn't act like our earthly father. So we need to know our heavenly father to the degree that which we know our earthly father. And as we do, we will not only believe that he can, we'll believe that he will. Amen? Go ahead and bow your heads with me this morning. This morning, just a private moment between you and Jesus. You would admit that when you hear a promise, That when you calculate it out, you come back to, I'm not deserving. You come back to that, I've made so many mistakes, I've had so many failures. I've blown it so many times. How could I possibly receive anything from him? Well, here's the good news. We're told that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Well, unrighteousness is simply not being in right standing with God. 
See, right standing with God is always as simple as saying, God, I blew it. Forgive me. And the word says instantly in a moment, we're back into that place. Where we're made righteous with him. And the good news for us is this. That if we feel like we're hindered from receiving from him because of our performance, we can in a moment get our performance right so that we can freely receive from him. So this morning I have to ask, is there something in your life that you need to say, Jesus, forgive me? And ask that so we can simply just remove that obstacle. So a private moment. I don't want anybody looking around. This is just between you and the Lord. If there's a place you'd say, you know what, Pastor, I gotta, I just gotta, I just gotta get some things right. Every head bowed and every head closed. If that's you, would you slip up your hand? This is just for, for you and the Lord. Just say, you know what, Lord, there's some things I just gotta get right. I just gotta confess this obstacle. Father, this morning, in the name of Jesus, Father, we come to you. And we ask you to forgive us. Father, you know the places we've been. You know the things that we've done. You know how many times we've come back to this thing. And God, we're tired of it being in hindrance. So I just thank you, God, that right now, Father, you're cleansing your people. Just under your breath right now, just give that up to him. Just say, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me. Thank you, Jesus. Father, I thank you as these have said, Lord, forgive me, God. I thank you that they are cleansed from unrighteousness, God, that they're back in right standing 100% with you. There's no obstacle that can be in their way because it is done. Father, I just thank you that they're in a position where they can just set that, that obstacle in their mind aside And they can receive. They can receive. I thank you, Lord. I thank you, Jesus. I realize that for some of you this morning, maybe today was the first time you ever heard about the goodness of Jesus and the sacrifice that he made for you. The Bible tells us that he endured the cross in its shame for the joy that was set before him. That joy was you and I. And he paid the price for our sin and failure and willingly laid down his life for us. And he did it so we could enter into a relationship with him And we can know him in a real and genuine and true way. And so I I don't know where everybody's at this morning. I don't know where you're at with Jesus. But as I speak these words on the inside of you, that belief I was talking about is rising up. And you're going, yes, I do believe that Jesus paid the price for my sin and my failure. 
And right now, I know some of you are calculating in your mind all the reasons why that can't be true or why it can't be true for you. But the reality is, it is true, and it is true for you no matter who you are. Because he paid the price for all of us. So if that's you this morning, I'm going to ask everyone to stand to their feet. You would just stand to your feet. If that's you this morning, you'd say, yes, I believe that Jesus is the Savior. And this morning, I want to start a relationship with him. If that's you, I'm just going to ask you, we're going to pray together. And as we pray that prayer, if that's you, just pray with all your heart. So church, let's pray together. Say, Jesus, I thank you that you paid the price for my sin and failure on the cross over 2,000 years ago. And Jesus, I admit, I failed. But you know what? I know that you're bigger than my failure. So I ask you, Jesus, come into my life this morning. Change me. Help me grow. Help me become all that you destined me to be. And I thank you that my life is changed right now by your sacrifice. In your mighty name, amen. The Bible tells us that if you prayed that prayer, that there's a process that's taken place. The Bible calls it salvation. But there's a process that took place on the inside of you. There's a part of you that's all of a sudden been shifted and changed. Jesus had a conversation with this guy Nicodemus about being born again, that there's literally a part of you that's come to life this morning. And you'll recognize it because all of a sudden you'll start to go do things that you used to do and you don't want to do some of those things you used to do. And it's because the part of you that was once dead is now alive. And that's your spirit, man. And I believe that there's a lot of power when we acknowledge, you know what, Jesus, I'm living for you today. I said that prayer. Something changed and shifted in me. And so in a moment, if you said that prayer for the first time, I'm going to give you an opportunity just to slip up your hand. We don't do that to embarrass you. We do that because we believe there's power in saying, I did it. I did it. The other reason why we do it is, If you haven't figured out, we're kind of a rowdy church. And we like to celebrate and to shout and declare and just be happy with what you did. And we want to show you that we love you and we care about you. So in a moment, I'm going to count to three. And if you said that prayer, I'm going to ask you to slip up that hand. And church, at the same time that they slip up their hand, I'm going to ask you to celebrate. Because we are celebrating one of the greatest things that ever happens in someone's life. So you said that prayer this morning. You meant it with your heart. You entered into a relationship with Jesus. You asked him to forgive you. And the good news is he has. So if that's you, when I get to three, slip up your hand. One, two, it's a new day. Three, anyone like that at all? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We're going to just 
declare God's goodness one more time as we sing together. But as we do that, if you're here this morning, and you know what, maybe you are in the midst of a struggle and a battle. Can I tell you, there's no shame in being in a struggle and a battle. We all have them. But if you're in the midst of a difficult season, a struggle, a battle, and you just need God to do something. We're going to have prayer partners here in the front. We'll also have them back in the back corners. Go and stand with someone while we sing and just let them pray with you. We believe that there's power in the prayer of agreement. And we also believe that no one should go through struggles in life alone. So if you're in a season where it's difficult, you need God to do something, come and stand with someone and let them pray with you. Thank you for checking out today's podcast. If you would like any further information about Rivers Edge Church, please visit our website at visitriversedge.com or you can follow us on Facebook or Instagram. Thank you for listening.